You are listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast, the weekly show where we take a look at some epic marketing failures, along with some pretty amazing brand rescues and comebacks. And now your hosts, Nico and Chad. Hey, Chad. Yeah. Are you much of a romantic individual? Ooh. You know, I like to think of myself that way. I don't know if my wife would just... And I know you really well. (laughs) I know you really well. So don't come in, try to get out of this question. (laughs) I think my answer and my wife's answer would probably be a little bit different, but... No, it should be the same. Come on. (laughs) Hang on. Let me me call her. Let me call her. I'll just bring her on. No, I wouldn't do that to you. (laughs) You know, I did a lot of grand gestures when we were dating and engaged and earlier married. And unfortunately, as the grind of life took over, I haven't been as dedicated Mm. as I once was. Okay, well, you know, fix it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say. (laughs) Yes, I need to be delivering more roses. No, you guys are pretty romantic. You're a model couple. We always say that whenever we hang out with you guys, we always leave thinking, man, you're made for one another. So... (laughs) (laughs) It's very true. It's very true. There's a really cool little story that I found on the Oprah magazine, of all things, about a couple, Bob Harvey and Antoinette Atkins. They met in 1955 during the study hall and immediately just fell in love with each other and started dating. And here's a quote from me, so I couldn't take my eyes off her that he told the New York Times. And then they went to prom together. And then as a lot of people do in school, they went their own ways to university. And in 2017, his wife died and he started getting really lonely and he tracked her down and he discovered that she's a widow. Wow. He drove 500 miles. He stopped to get gas and a bouquet and he knocked on a door. He handed her the flowers and he has a quote from me. He says, I cupped her face in my hands. And he said, I really love you. And he kissed her and they got married. They got married 63 (laughs) years after their prom in a 1950s style dinner. And they were dancing to Jimmy Matus, which is the same song and artist that played during their prom. It's crazy. eh? That is amazing. Sounds a little bit like The Notebook, (laughs) (laughs) but with less drama. Well, uh, happy Friday to you, man. Yeah, same to you. How was your week? Good. Busy, but good. What is this, episode 34, 35, 34? Yeah, crazy, right? Man, yes. (laughs) The time is flying. Yeah, it is, especially if you are having a lot of fun, stuck at home in a pandemic, Mm -hmm. waiting for election results. (laughs) But anyway, we got a really cool story today. It's unfortunately a failure. It's not necessarily a comeback, but it's still a really interesting story. And there's a lot of really good nuggets here for marketers and just for people in general to take away from it. You know, we talk about brand failures and brand rescues, and we cover stories ranging from big brands recovering from big mistakes like American Airlines or Nokia, all the way to smaller brands recovering from smaller mistakes or near extinction like Campbell's, or I can also think of like Lego because they were on the brink of just collapsing. And marketing as a recovery tool may seem a bit obvious, but it's really interesting when you consider that marketing or the lack thereof is often what also lands certain companies in the position that they need rescuing from, right? We've covered that in plenty of episodes. In either case, by 
marketing, we mean things like consumer-oriented campaigns, new product lines, billboards, commercials, rebranding, etc. And while the list of marketing strategies could go on and on, and we could sit here the whole day and think of tactics, you'd most probably never go so far as to put love letters as one of your tactics, now would you? Mm, that's a good question. Is it Valentine's Day? <laughs> Man, if only it was, this story is off the rails. So why, why don't you kick us off and tell us what happened? <laughs> yeah, we maybe should have saved this story for Valentine's week, but it may not go over that well for that one either. I'm sure we'll find another crazy one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so today's story is about an Italian car maker named Fiat. Which is not really big in the US, right? Growing up in South Africa and when I was in Europe for a long time, Fiat was a really big brand, but not not so much in the States. Yeah, it's a really kind of niche brand here and mostly driven by like 18-year-old girls in Newport Beach mm. with the little convertibles. And then, you know, they kind of drive down PCH and have a good time with their friends. So, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a little bit more of a, of a niche type of brand in the US. Yep. And... They came up with an idea, of course, for a new marketing campaign. They were trying to be cute, fun, and cater towards the, quote, independent, modern working woman. And this was meant to market Fiat's new Fiat 500. So after doing their homework and running a pilot test of the campaign, which, for the record, actually received very positive results... Fiat felt that their new campaign was ready for the spotlight. Mm. It was ready for showtime. Yeah, but you know you can always get positive results in any server that you do, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> the data can always be positioned or spun, right? Yeah. So after doing their homework and running this pilot test of the campaign, in March of 1994, Fiat sent letters to some 50,000 women across Spain. Each one was personally addressed and written on pink paper. Hmm. What can go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Because that automatically means you're connecting with women because you wrote it on pink paper. Ugh, man, yeah. So in these letters, the writer heavily compliments the recipient and encourages her to go on a, quote, little adventure, hmm. saying that they believe that she should because, quote, we met again on the street yesterday and I noticed how you glanced interestedly in my direction, end quote. Oh, boy. Yeah. The writer and the letter's recipient were made for each other, says the writer. The letters also included the line, quote, I only have to be with you a few minutes, and even if it doesn't work between us, I promise you won't forget our experience together. Oh, man, that's bad. <laughs> that's horrible. Ugh. Yeah, so designed to be fun and also mysterious. The question as to who penned the letter was supposed to be answered six days after the first letter went out. Fiat's idea was charming in theory, but not on pink paper or in practice. Fiat had hoped to compliment their consumers and encourage them to get out and explore the world, obviously in a Fiat. And their PR manager in Spain said, quote, the campaign was supposed to play with factors like intrigue, love and romanticism which surrounds our car advertisements. But the impression of the letters ended up giving the recipients 
was that of a psychopath sex mad stalker. Do you know why? Because they didn't write fiat on the letters. Completely just anonymous. So you don't know who you're getting this from. Just before we started taping this, I was saying, what if Tiffany, your wife, gets something like this in the mail? I mean, how, the, how is she going to feel about it? It's horrible. You know, knowing Fiat's intention and the reaction they expected to generate makes it fair to say that the reaction they actually got couldn't have been further from what they were going for. This ended up being a complete debacle. So what happened, Chad? What was the fallout? <laughs> well, I think the original plan, at least, was for these 50,000 independent modern working women to receive a second letter six days after the first in which their admirer would be revealed as the new Fiat 500. Mm -hmm. But a lot can happen in six days, <laughs> right? Like just think about you get this thing, this entire letter from a complete stranger saying all of these very deeply personal things and also just the fact, you know, I just need a few minutes and you some experience you never forget. I mean, that's really planting some serious thoughts in there. It's very cold and random, which could be perceived as very sexist and just creepy. And threatening, right? You don't know what this person's intentions are. And it sounds a little bit kind of like almost narcissistic or like manipulative you looked my direction, and this is why I'm writing you this letter. I mean, that would really freak out a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. How did you get my address? Whoever you are, stranger. Yeah, exactly. Like, did you follow me home? Jeez, imagine a woman living alone and getting sent this in the mail. Sure. Right. So you're stewing on this for six days. <laughs> what in the heck is happening? What's going on? Is there somebody like surveilling me? Are they watching me? Yeah. And so following the release of the first letters... A newspaper called El Mundo reported that the ad campaign had unleashed jealous scenes among married couples. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right? That's actually an angle that I didn't even think about. <laughs> You're so right. What does the partner think about this? <laughs> yeah, if your marriage is already like having some issues and your husband opens this, oh, man, that could cause some serious issues. Yeah. Well, even worse than that, one woman actually ended up canceling her weekend plans and had her brother escort her to work the rest of the week. Oh, my goodness. She even had family members begin a private investigation. They went out and found a private investigator to figure out what the heck is going on. It's crazy. Well, in fact, a newspaper, El Pais, reported that not just one, but several women felt significantly threatened by this letter. Believing that they were being stalked by a psychopath, many women locked themselves inside and would only go out if they were escorted by a male company, like the lady and her brother. Embarrassed, Fiat stopped the campaign early once they heard about the women's fearful reactions, and Fiat did end up sending out a second letter just not the one that they originally planned. This time, it was an apology letter with a signature, a brochure, and an invitation to the closest Fiat store. The apology letter also reportedly contained a third letter explaining the campaign, which I'm sure made sense after the fact, but putting somebody through hell for six days, <laughs> they've probably lost the customer for life. Yeah, this is typically, you don't want to absolutely terrify your potential customers. <laughs> Unless you're maybe like one of those escape rooms or Halloween experiences, it's usually not the best way to go about things. So the apologies and explanations 
came after protests from consumer protection groups had already started to gain traction and the attention of the Spanish national social minister, Cristina Alberti, indicated that it was too little too late for fiat. Probably worth mentioning that for some recipients of fiat's little pink love letters, the apology was not enough. I mean, for me... I'd be like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, you need to do more than apologize. This is ridiculous. And a lot of people felt that way. I mean, there were so many frightened reactions of just individual people. And then you have the coverage from the local newspapers and outcry from protection groups. And then the social minister jumps in. And so you have this huge, just growing wave of negative sentiment and people freaking out about it, that there's just no way that Fiat can backpedal far enough, fast enough. And of course they tried, but then the courts start to get involved because of the scope and depth of how crazy this was. Well, it's 50,000 letters that went out. So let's say half of them were actually opened, 50% open rate. That's 25,000 women that they put in a very awkward, scary space. You know, so it's just bizarre. No wonder it picked up momentum. And that's the thing. I'm kind of surprised as we started researching the story that there weren't more court cases and lawsuits of people suing for emotional damages. Yeah. It's because this didn't happen in America, Chad. That's why. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Great point. (laughs) This happened in Spain, not in the US. Yes. This would not fly out here. I think the repercussions would have been a lot more legal-oriented than what actually happened here. Yes, there would have been a class action for sure. (laughs) Yeah, the high court in the city of Zaragoza decided to jump into the fray and find Fiat for sending the letters. And while being called into court and having to deal with legal fees and the reputational damage, Fiat's fine was just a complete slap on the wrist. I mean, it was 100% just symbolic and, I don't know, symbolic of what? Symbolic of that you can get away with things if you're a corporation? I don't know, but the fine was about 155,000 pesetas or about 1,100 US dollars. So it was just nothing. The court also ordered the company to pay 140,000 pesetas, which is roughly also about a grand to damages to the townswoman after she personally brought an issue to court. So there was only one case then that was brought from an individual person. Yeah, exactly. But what about, you know, this was intended as a marketing stunt. This is a direct marketing piece that they did to drive people to their store or to the showroom to do a test drive. Within automotive, that's like the ultimate thing. You know, once somebody gets behind the wheel and their test drive, the conversion rate is really high. So what did this do to their sales? Their sales didn't really take a significant hit from this marketing disaster. But you can also look at this a different way. This happened, this whole catastrophe happened. It was a local campaign. And this happened pre-internet era, which I think is really important to note, because if this had to happen today with social media and with the internet, what it is today, I think it would just be a massive, massive ding in the actual sales. I mean, I think our last episode, we talked about Gap that rolled at their logo prematurely or sporadically, and their sales took a $100 million hit, remember? Mm. So that's the difference between pre-internet and post 
internet era. So I think that's been a saving grace for them as well. You know, if they launched in 2020, they really would have felt a lot bigger than what they did. Yeah, so they got lucky not having the internet around in a sense that it was easier to do damage control in those days. But two years after their merger with Chrysler, they were back in the spotlight for making women uncomfortable again in 2016. Oh, boy. So, (laughs) again, not learning their lesson, as we've seen many times on this show. And Fiat's Argentina branch started to hand out booklets to new car owners. This is what caused the additional problems in 2016. The booklets came with a manual on how females, referred to as co-pilots, whatever that's supposed to infer, should at least have nice legs if they're going to be co-pilots of a Fiat. (laughs) As a marketer, just hearing you say stuff like that just makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, how did that even happen? Yes. How did it get to print to hand out into the actual owner's hands, you know? Yes. As a marketer and as a person, it's just awkward (laughs) to like read this. So the manual also had instructions such as, quote, if a lady's skirt is too short, we recommend that she travel in the back seat to keep our concentration. (laughs) I know, but it continues. Oh, man. There's more? Yeah. Fiat's use of our, the word our, doesn't just mean just men in general. According to the Argentina branch's manual, this booklet that they were distributing, Mm -hmm. our was defined as specifically referencing alpha males. No, in the manual? Yes, in this like marketing piece that they're distributing. So if that's not enough to just make you like completely question reality, in order for alpha males to, quote, behave like a gentleman, you should know that if your partner, girlfriend, or squeeze travels with friends, you should become the chauffeur for each and every one of them, taking the spot of the alpha male and dropping each one of them safe and sound at their resting place. So (laughs) what do you even say to that? I'm pretty sure the thinking behind this was that Fiat up until this point was, if you think of automotive, sometimes they want to switch the target audience over to a different sex, right? So like Mini is associated with like a woman's vehicle. So all the marketing has been, they've been beefing it up so they can attract more male buyers. So I'm sure the brief year was, hey, Fiat, as we know today, is more leaning towards the female demographic. What can we do to attract the male demographic? Now, if that was the brief and what they're trying to do, if I get this manual, (laughs) I would think it's completely gross, right? Wouldn't you just like, I would think it's disgusting. So who are they trying to target with this? What are they trying to do? You know what I mean? I don't even understand the strategy behind it. Very often I can think of a campaign and I can go, oh, this is what they were trying to do, but they did it really badly. Mm -hmm. This is off the rails. It's just crazy. Yeah. So like Old Spice, when they did their comeback with Isaiah Mustafa and they did the whole reboot and everything, they did exactly what you're talking about. They were able to kind of transition from one target audience to the other, but they did it in a way that they brought along the old target audience 
They used the other target audience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And spoke to both in a very empowering way while they were poking fun and while they were bringing some benign, mild sexiness into the campaign. So there are ways that you can do this effectively, do what I think they were trying to do effectively. But I think it's very clear that the people who were involved with this maybe did not have the best intentions. So obviously they got massive criticism here. And it's just weird that they didn't learn from the previous time that they did this, right? In Spain. And the car makers swiftly apologized and withdrew the manual. And 22 years later, after the love turned starker later, Fiat also managed to escape the co-pilot and alpha male manual misstep relatively unscathed, right? If nothing else, it's good for Fiat, you can say. But the company running two extreme sexist ads in the span of two decades and walking away both times with little more than a slap on the wrist ultimately points to a much bigger problem that we have here. And that's kind of like what we need to be talking about today. We've talked about racism in ads. We've talked about sexism in ads. And now we're talking about ads being creepy. It's interesting, right? So before we started rolling this, you had a really good point that very often people use creative within a specific vehicle, like a tactic, like a direct marketing piece. The creative idea is such a big component of what they're trying to do that it's so far off of actually solving the business problem, the reason why they're doing what they're doing. And this is a really fantastic example of that. Both these are a really good example of that, where the creative idea superseded the fact that it's going to freak out the target audience versus like solve a business problem that they have. Right. Yeah. It's creative for creative's sake, not for the sake of the business problem. Yeah. It's creepy, man. <laughs> it's very creepy. And that's the thing is when you are focused on creative for creative sake, when you fall in love with a creative idea rather than trying to actually think through and solve a specific business problem, this kind of stuff can start to ruminate. And clearly, I think some of the things that we just went through were very crossing the line beyond accidental misinterpretation into purposeful language and a way of speaking that is very disrespectful and derogatory and just inappropriate in general. I'm sure that within their internal HR policies, you would not be allowed to speak this way to your colleagues <laughs> at work. <laughs> So let's speak to our customers like that. Right. Nico, you also brought up a good point when we were preparing for this episode about how all advertising, in essence, hasn't been requested, right? It's not an opt-in type of an activity. Everything, emails, direct marketing, ads, people don't opt into it. They just get bombarded with communication on a daily basis. Right. And so these women did not opt in to receiving these communications. And so... What's the difference, right? Like, why was this creepy and getting a regular standard mailer in the mail not creepy? And it's totally and completely in the fact that, number one, they weren't transparent about who they were or where it was coming from. Two, the way that they spoke to these people in such a creepy way <laughs> and just trying to accomplish something without being clear about who they were or where they were coming from or why. They could have attached their name to the end of that first original letter, if you think about this original Fiat letter, and things would have been very different. 
we might even be talking about that as a good campaign. Yeah. Well, you know, it's similar to any companies or the law for that matter, as it relates to sexism in the workplace. Sexism is not how it's intended. It is how it's perceived, right? So just because somebody intends something differently than the way it's perceived doesn't mean that it didn't happen. So if you do something that is freaking somebody out or making them feel uncomfortable, in the eyes of the law, that's what's happened. And this is exactly with this circumstance as well, right? So just because they didn't intend to creep out these people, they did, right? That's exactly what happened. And they can't hide behind the fact that, you know, this was a creative execution or they were using a direct marketing vehicle that they do on a regular basis. It's hard to perceive. And that's the end of it. Right. Which reminds me of the Ford Figo fiasco. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the Ford Figo fiasco. Yeah, Ford India wanted to showcase the amount of trunk space in the hatchback Figo. And if you wanted to show how much trunk space you have, you might see how many things you can fit into it, right? You can see how many aluminum cans you can put in it. You can see how many ping pong balls, or you can see how many big for her pants. Ooh. Remember we did like a whole sexist <laughs> ad thing? Or you can see how many iPhones you can fit into it. The point is, that's what you might think of doing. And Ford of India had the exact same idea, but they had a little bit of a twist on it. They wanted to see how many celebrities you can fit in the trunk. Mm. So Ford of India ran three ads featuring people being tied up and gagged in the trunks of the Figos. And one featured three men in the trunk while the car was driven by a man. If you're curious, it was Formula One champion Michael Schumacher transporting Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, and Fernando Alonso. It's crazy. Yeah. So the other thing to me is that two of the ads featured women bound and gagged in the trunk, which I think just comes across very differently. Yeah. Maybe not exactly how you wanted it to be perceived. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. European Parliament member Silvio Berlusconi, who is obviously a very controversial person in general, <laughs> drove three nameless ball-gagged women around in the first ad. And in the second ad, Paris Hilton kidnapped the Kardashians. Mm. <laughs> so Fiat, they may have been lacking in self-awareness and perspective when their ads ran in 94 and 2016. But Ford India's trunk campaign just came out at a horrible time in 2013 during a national rape crisis in India. And at first, Ford's 2013 campaign may not have seemed like that big of a deal, especially because they had multiple situations, right? It wasn't like they only had one ad that came out with the women in the back. They had men in the back too in another ad. And so there was kind of like this mix of different types of ads that they had. But the problem is when there's complete insensitivity and lack of awareness of the state of the world and what people are going through at any particular point in time. So with what was going on in India, that level of insensitivity towards the social and political issues really just blew this up into a really big problem. And so they thought that their ads would be received well and be this kind of tongue-in-cheek, kind of funny thing. But their ads were really kind of symptomatic of a much larger issue at play, which is just a general lack of awareness. 
I don't, I don't even know. Like sometimes I want to say like, hey, this is what you should do to avoid this circumstance. But what I'm saying is so, it's just common sense. In the show, we've talked about racism. We had a, I think it was episode 11, where we talked about the CrossFit CEO just making vile racist comments. And we also had the whole big pens for her fiasco. And now this. So there's definitely something to be said about the whole, to your point from earlier, having creative for creative sake. And just because you've got a really cutting edge idea and you think you're pushing the envelope, that shouldn't steer away from your target audience and what's going to resonate with them and the business problem you're trying to solve. Right. And I think these examples we went through today is exactly that. It doesn't solve the business problem. It doesn't communicate the campaign messaging you're trying to get across. This is going to sound weird, but if your campaign is truly unique, there might be a reason why nobody else has done it. Yeah. I'm not saying we should copy the same stuff over and over and over, but I'm just saying if you're doing something truly unique, really do your homework to make sure that you've put the creative and the messaging in front of your audience multiple times through research to make sure that it's not going to freak them out or you're not going to be doing anything racist or sexist. Pilots are only accurate if they're done well, right? We said earlier that you can slice and dice data to tell any story. But if you do a pilot well, you should be able to understand how your messaging is going to resonate to your target audience, testing the right demographic, testing the right time frame. And what the objectives are is really vital to obtain useful results, right? So again, I think these things are common sense, but for some reason, we're going to be still talking about this in episode 300 because it keeps on <laughs> happening. I think you bring up a very, very good point because in the advertising industry, there's a lot of pressure to be creative mm -hmm. because that's what wins pitches. That's what sells big retainers and big projects is an idea, a new fresh idea, something to revitalize a brand or take it to the next level. And so there's a massive amount of pressure on creatives. They're the people that make the most money in the industry. But I think because of that pressure to constantly be coming up with these big ideas, we very frequently forget that effective is much better than unique if you have to choose between the two. And you don't always have to, right? Like a lot of times unique and effective go hand in hand. However, if you ever have to find yourself sacrificing what you think might be effective for the sake of uniqueness, or to put it another way, being creative for the sake of creativity, that's generally going to lead to problems. So to really prevent, I think, making a lot of these same mistakes, you've got to kind of look back at history, look back at what your objectives are, look back at what you're trying to accomplish as an organization and what your values are. It's okay to be edgy. It's okay to be provocative. Those can be very good things. They can be very useful things. I think about, for example, in cancer treatment, the organization Cancer. Yeah. It's edgy. It's very provocative, but it's also very, very important because it gives voice to the powerful and deep emotions that cancer patients and caregivers feel and allows them to kind of activate that into a social movement. And so it's okay to do those things, but 
they need to come from the right place. Yeah. <laughs> and they need to be checked for how people will feel when they're on the receiving end of it. Yeah. And then the last thing I would say about all this, if all else fails, just don't be creepy. That helps. (laughs) (laughs) It's strange that we have to say that, but it's true. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, everybody. Speak to you guys next week. You've been listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast. This show is hosted by Nico Katsia and Chad Childress, the co-founders of KPI Agency, a marketing rescue agency. Be sure to visit marketingrescuepodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, contact the hosts, and discover fantastic bonus content.